All right, Nick. So, um, you know, I feel like as I'm getting to the end of my fellowship, I still feel like I need to go back and remind myself about all of the general OBGYN topics as well as some primary care stuff. So how do I do that? Yeah, you know, our friends at the OBG Project actually have a new sister website that's come out called the PC Med Project or the Primary Care Med Project um, that focuses in on a lot of things from medicine that we may have forgotten and probably that our family medicine and internal medicine listeners completely remember, but they just need a better resource to be able to get those bullet-pointed summaries. Yeah, as I'm looking through this website, I see a ton of great information. It looks like they've also broken this down into specialty areas, so not just your normal alerts and things like that, but also looking at review of cancer screening, if you need to like look at some endocrine topics, even some dermatology topics. This is really great for anyone who wants to review some of your basic primary care subjects. So definitely check out the PC Med Project at pcmedproject.com. But if you're an OBGYN resident, remember too that you can get the OBG Project and OBG First as well as that resident core curriculum absolutely free heading to our website at www.creagsovercoffee.com, checking out our sidebar and getting signed up. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Kriags Over Coffee. Coffee. All right, guys, so today we're going to be talking about a very important topic um, that I think uh, doesn't get talked about a ton, but we are going to discuss persistent vulvar pain. So what are our learning objectives for today, Nick? So first we're going to discuss the terminology and classifications relevant to persistent vulvar pain. We're then going to review diagnosing and evaluating um, causes of persistent vulvar pain. And then finally, we'll look to treat different causes of persistent vulvar pain. So we're really going to go through the whole spectrum here. Um, we have some nice reading to pair along with this committee opinion number 673 that is on persistent vulvar pain. So I don't want to say it again, Faye, but what is persistent vulvar pain? Sure. So for some background, uh, persistent vulvar pain is a complex disorder and often very frustrating to both the patient and the provider. And because it's difficult to treat uh, and even with appropriate treatment, pain may not resolve completely. Um, so the terminology and classification actually comes from the 2015 consensus on terminology and classification of persistent vulvar pain from the International Society for Study of Vulval Vaginal Disease, not an international society that I thought existed prior to, you know, doing my research for this uh, for this episode, Nick. Um, but essentially, they said that, you know, uh, pain, this type of pain can be caused by either one, a specific disorder, or it can be idiopathic. And idiopathic vulvar pain is called vulvodynia. So um, to kind of break that down a little bit further, you know, vulvar pain that's caused by specific disorders are things like infectious, inflammatory, neoplastic, neurologic, trauma, iatrogenic, so like post-operative, for example, or hormonal deficiencies like genitourinary syndrome of menopause, lactational amenorrhea, for example. 
And then really vulvodynia is vulvar discomfort most often reported as a burning pain, which occurs in the absence of relevant visible findings or any of these other disorders that can cause it um, and does not have any clinically identifiable neurologic disorder for at least three months. And this can be described as localized. So it can be localized, for example, to the vestibule and be called vestibulodynia. It can be general for the entire vulva or mixed. Um, it can be provoked, so for example, insertional or in contact, um, or it can be spontaneous, again, or mixed, and then you can either call it primary or secondary in onset, and then you can also describe its temporal pattern, so is it intermittent, persistent, etc. All right, so that's definitely a lot to remember, Nick. So let's go on, and let's say, you know, your patient comes to you with this complaint, so how do you evaluate them? Yeah, so... First of all, we want to try and exclude other causes of vulvar pain before assigning the diagnosis of vulvodynia. Vulvodynia really is a diagnosis of exclusion. So as you went through kind of those specific disorders that can be linked to vulvar pain, um, we really have to kind of do a thorough evaluation to rule those out. So as we start off all the time, we're going to start off with our history. So you know, whatever mnemonic you learned in medical school, the OPQRS or whatever else, again, you're just going to do that normal thing. How long has your patient been having pain? Where is it? What is the quality of the pain? What is it related to? Um, you're also going to obtain your usual medical and surgical histories. Um, a sexual history is important with vulvar pain. Certainly start off always with asking permission to talk about that subject and introducing it um, before diving in. Review patients' allergies if there's any that are known. And then also talk to them about any previous treatments for the disorder, whether they've been prescribed or things that the patient may be doing on their own. Um, the next thing is a physical exam. And I think one of the things that's so important with a physical exam, particularly if you're listening to this podcast and presumably are interested in or doing gynecology, is to know your anatomy. Um, really, there are a lot of misconceptions about vulvar anatomy, and there's a lot of misinformation about vulvar anatomy. We'll post an image on our website just to kind of help describe the particulars um, in a really diagrammatic form so that way whether you are the person who is asking for the consult or you are the person doing the consult, you have the ability to describe accurately what you're observing um, during your exam. Other things that you can do in terms of exam and testing is something called a cotton swab test. So basically with this, you're using a cotton swab and moving across the labia. So you're starting on the thighs and moving to the labia majora and then moving into the interlabial sulci. Then you're testing different areas on the vestibule in kind of a clockwise fashion um, in order to kind of determine specific areas that may elicit the vulvar pain. Other things that you'll want to do during an exam are rule out infections, you're doing your wet mounts, your vaginal pH evaluation, fungal cultures, a gram stain. Um, you can do things like vulvoscopy. Um, usually this is not needed though, but certainly if there's an area of concern, you may want to take a closer look under a scope or even biopsy an area. Um, sometimes that biopsy can help lead you to a dermatosis diagnosis um, or a squamous cancer diagnosis even sometimes. And then finally, um, the musculoskeletal evaluation is also important as part of this. And 
vulvar pain can be linked into additional things in terms of pelvic floor dysfunction and pain. So palpation of the different muscles within the pelvis to see if there's referred pain to the vulva. Um, and then palpation of the pubovaginalis portion of the levator ani, the obturator internus, and the urethrovaginal sphincter are all things that, again, can help you determine kind of the location of the pain, the quality of the pain, and things that may be related to the pain. Okay, so we've talked about exam. We'll have an image on the website to help with anatomy and description. Um, I think our listeners, Faye, though, are really into trying to understand what treatment should be. Yeah, so unfortunately, the evidence for treating vulvodynia is really based on clinical experience and observational studies. There really aren't that many randomized studies out there. Um, so we can break this down into, you know, two methods of treatment. So one, if there is an obvious cutaneous or mucosal disease present, then we should treat the disease. So if there is very obviously you've done your exam and they have candidiasis, you should treat the candidiasis. If they have some type of dermatosis, so if they have lichen sclerosis, you should treat the lichen. Um, we talk a lot about this actually in some of our other episodes. So we have a vulvar itching episode that we're going to link to this um, to the on the website, and that's going to really talk about how we treat vulvovaginal itching and some of those methods. And we also have a benign vulvar dermatosis episode. So definitely check those out to kind of figure out how to treat some of those uh, obvious cutaneous or mucosal diseases that we can see that could potentially cause pain. But Nick, what if there isn't any obvious cutaneous or mucosal disease and we truly have that vulvodynia? What do we do? Yeah. So again, the cotton swab test, as we described before, is going to be part of your evaluation here. If you can't identify a specific area of tenderness on your cotton swab test, then you really need to be considering alternative diagnoses to vulvodynia. If you're finding tenderness or burning with a cotton swab test, then one of the first things to make sure that you do in terms of evaluating things is a yeast culture. So if you have a positive yeast culture, um, then obviously that's going to move to something that you're going to trial an antifungal for. If negative or if your antifungal trial doesn't provide adequate relief, um, then you're moving on to sort of vulvar care measures. So these things are to try and reduce irritation ultimately surrounding the vulva. So these things that you can recommend include um, wearing cotton underwear only and using no underwear at nights to be able to allow for airflow, um, avoiding specific vulvar irritants, avoiding douching, um, using mild soaps for bathing or anti-allergenic soaps, and not applying those soaps directly to the vulva itself. Um, using preservative-free emollients for the area. Um, coconut oil is honestly one of the, the best ones to use um, that also is a natural product that can be appealing to patients. Switching over to 100% cotton menstrual pads is an additional way to reduce irritation. Um, patients should use water-based lube for intercourse, um, so that way, again, they're not having any additional chemicals or other things that are being exposed that are going to last a long time. And then using cool gels to the vulvar area to be able to provide relief. As we move on sort of from those vulvar measures, if those are kind of not working well, kind of the next things that you can kind of think about are more specific medications. So 
topical medications can be applied, and again, depending on the patients and the comorbidities and the, the age, um, estrogen creams can be considered. There also can be some effective relief from compounded topical tricyclic antidepressants. Um, so kind of an interesting relief, but one that does work. Oral medications can also be considered, again, tricyclic antidepressants and anticonvulsants are often used in this area. Um, and really, you're using one drug at a time. You shouldn't be combining these. Remember, the TCAs in particular have a lot of um, difficulty with combining with other medications. TCAs can be used for up to three weeks to assess adequate pain control. And again, if you're not achieving adequate pain control by then, they should be discontinued. Faye, if we get beyond just the usual vulvar care measures, topical things, and even some of these oral medications, know that obviously we're like hitting a pretty significant therapy barrier there. What else kind of is around? Yeah, I think, you know, once you start getting to this point where you're trying these medications and things aren't working, you certainly should consider some type of uh, consultation with a specialist in vulvar care or potentially our urogynecology colleagues. The kind of next steps is to think about doing things like Botox for trigger point injections, for example. You can also use steroids for trigger point injections, like actual specific places that are causing pain. Lidocaine you can also use sometimes, but these are not necessarily recommended because it's very short acting, but sometimes, you know, just like how you can use topical medications, you can have topical lidocaine that you can place in certain locations um, that are causing the patient pain at specific times. So for example, if they have a very specific vulvodynia with insertion, you can say, well, at the time of sex, we can actually put in um, some lidocaine uh, topical medication in that area. The other thing to think about is biofeedback or physical therapy to assess for pelvic floor dysfunction and see if that's going to help with the pain. And then some other things are things like dietary modification, cognitive behavioral therapy, and sexual counseling. If, unfortunately, you still have no adequate relief and localized pain after you've tried all of these steps, the last step is actually surgery, which is a surgery with vestibulectomy. And this really should only be done if other treatments have failed because it is actually pretty aggressive to go in and actually remove part of the vulva of a patient. So when you do a vestibulectomy, it's really oriented only for those patients who very specifically have localized pain. It's really not for people who have generalized pain because you really can't go in and remove an entire vulva. Uh, and, and potentially that is not going to actually help them with their pain. So in those specifically who have localized pain, vestibulectomy actually has a higher success rate compared to those who don't have surgery. So the success rate of achieving pain, uh, achieving no pain is about 60 to 90% compared to 40 to 80% for non-surgical interventions. Um, but if, again, in those with generalized pain, unfortunately, we still have to consider increasing doses of certain medications. So for example, if they're on oral medications, the tricyclics and the anticonvulsants, combining medications, etc. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So why don't we go ahead and summarize? First, we talked about what the definition of persistent vulvar pain is. Again, it's a complex disorder. It can be really frustrating to both patients and medical providers. And the kind of definition came most recently from the 2015 consensus terminology and classification of persistent vulvar pain from the International Society for the Study of Vulvovaginal Disease. Um, they defined it as 
something that can be caused by a specific disorder, or it can be idiopathic, also known as vulvodynia. But there are multiple ways that vulvar pain can be caused, infectious, inflammatory, neoplastic, neurologic, traumatic, and hormonal ways that vulvar pain can be caused, and these should be ruled out. Vulvodynia is specifically vulvar discomfort that's most often reported as burning pain occurring in the absence of relevant findings and is at least three months of duration, usually that is, again, localized, generalized, or mixed, can be provoked, spontaneous, or mixed, it can be of onsets that is primary or secondary, and then can have also a temporal pattern that should be described as intermittent, persistent, constant, immediate, or delayed. In terms of figuring out how to evaluate the cause of vulvar pain, we need to take a good history. So you would ask the patient your normal history questions, how long has this been going on, etc. You want to take um, a relevant medical and surgical history, sexual history, etc. And then you want to do a good physical exam and know your anatomy. The best test here is to do a cotton swab test because then you can actually specifically pinpoint where the location of the pain is. We want to rule out infection. Um, sometimes you can also biopsy an area or do vulvoscopy if you really think that there's an area that needs it if you're suspecting some type of cancer or derm dermatoses. Um, and then you want to do a musculoskeletal evaluation where you're palpating the different muscles within the pelvic floor to see if there's any referred pain that's causing the patient vulvar pain. Unfortunately, with respect to treatment, evidence is kind of lacking. It's based mostly on clinical experience and observational studies with not a lot of randomized studies that exist. Um, certainly, treatment should be directed towards the disease if there is an identifiable disease. So if you identify an infection, if you identify a dermatosis, direct your treatment towards that. And we've covered some of those treatments on prior podcasts that we'll have linked on the website. If you can't identify something right off the bat, a cotton swab test is the appropriate thing to do um, to help you kind of identify specifics surrounding where and how the pain presents. If there's any tenderness or burning with a cotton swab test, you can do a yeast culture at that time and then of course treat if they do have positive yeast. If it's negative, then we have to go down another route where we can talk about vulvar care measures, topical medications, and oral medications. If these don't work, we can then move on to things like injections, biofeedback or physical therapy, dietary modifications, CBT, and even sexual counseling. Unfortunately, in those who have localized pain and no adequate relief, if we go through all of these types of treatments, then we can also consider surgery with fistibulectomy, which has a slightly higher rate of success um, compared to non-surgical interventions. All right, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, Nick. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Kriyag's River Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreagsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreagsOverCoffee. And if you want to support the show, you can go ahead and go onto our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreagsOverCoffee. You can find show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes, as well as that Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, CreagsOverCoffee.com. And if you have questions for us, corrections for the show, or just want to say hi, or you have an episode to suggest for us, go ahead and email us at careeregsrivercoffee at gmail.com. 